if you can't play nice about Baba, what, you, you don't agree on anything. True. And and I'll also mention, a financial Cold War might be the most boring war of all time. <laughs> like a financial Cold War? We're the, we're the only podcast covering the financial Cold War. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. <sighs> what is that noise? It's not the noise of a person that had a good week in the markets. I'll tell you that much. Oh, gosh. I still, you, you like actually care week by week. It, it still boggles my mind. It, does it bogle your mind? It. Oh gosh, stop it! I'll um, not stop it. There's a that's a joke that only like ten percent of our listeners get, and the ten percent that got that joke are like putting their head in their hands, disgusted at you, Doogles. All right, so not a great week in the markets. How's how's things otherwise? Uh, otherwise, things is pretty good. That's great. What about you? Uh good. All's good over here. There was a, a couple down days in the market, and what I my reaction was like, oh, wait till these suckers see down 50%. The people that are freaking out now don't have any idea what's coming. Again, I'm not a forecaster, and I'm not making a prediction, but at some point, I don't know when, at some point, things are going to be down a lot rather than a little. That is true. I will say I'm also not a forecaster, but I will make one come Jan 1. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like when I told... Uh, I was talking to people at work. This is a couple years back. And I was like, I'm not a gambler. But when I go to Vegas and I bet on sports and they're like, hold, <laughs> they're like, hold on. And I was like, yeah, but that's it. I was like, that's just when I'm not playing poker. And they're like, can you, <laughs> when, when are you not a gambler? But anyway. All oh, right. That's so great. So in our pre-production meeting, I just got to share this. As we're talking about topics, you go, hey, I want to talk about Turkey today. Listen, the country, not the bird. All right. So don't get your hopes up. But then as you go, but let's kick off with the birds, meaning turkey and you eating crow. Let's eat some crow, or I'm going to eat some crow. So uh, this is one prediction I actually had right. I knew if I recorded myself talking for an hour a week for a year plus, I was going to say some stupid things. Turns out uh, this week was a culmination of a couple of those things. So I think it's fair to the listeners and fair to everyone else to go back and uh, say, hey, Skippy's an idiot on these. Uh, topics. First topic, episode three. Do you remember this, Dougals? What did we talk about? China Mobile? <laughs> Maybe. No, Jim Harbaugh? Maybe. Jim Harbaugh. Um, okay. But both these conversations were happening around, I don't know, January, February last year. The first one is the University of Michigan's football coach, Jim Harbaugh, who I think is a fabulous football coach, probably a top 10 coach in uh, college football. Uh, was underperforming, and the University of Michigan's approach to this was not to fire him like everyone else would do. It was to take his salary, which was $8 million a year, and cut it to $4 million. And I remember going on the pod and passionately saying, this is an idiotic move. It doesn't matter if he's a good coach or not. Just human psychology is not going to allow him You're to gonna succeed. And it's is what you said. You're going to demoralize. Yeah, right? And you know what? Jim Harbaugh coaching today. We're recording on Championship Saturday. Has a number two team in the country, and all he has to do is win, and he's in the playoffs. So I was wrong. I'm an idiot. I'm still shocked that it turned out that way, but 
That's me eating crow on topic number one. Eat crow again. <laughs> I thought you were going to pile on, but no, you just want me to keep going. When I see the crow in my throat, I just push. I think this was episode five. Uh, Dougal's had some adventures with China Mobile. And what did I do? I uh, was over here just making fun of him for buying Chinese stocks. And not caring about the valuation, not caring about the potential growth. You remember this well, Dougals, don't you? I remember it very well. Well, you know, uh, a year goes by and uh, we have some fun on the pod. And Tal Education Group, a Chinese stock, uh, goes down by 90%. I pick up a few shares because, hey, what's the harm with that? Uh, Baba has a, a pretty significant run down. And I picked up a few shares as well. Now... I guess the good news is I didn't go more than 1% of the, my portfolio with either one of those. But I had uh, conflicting takes here. It, early in the year, I said, why would you ever mess with China's stocks? There's too much political uh, risk there. At the end of the year, I made a few plays, and it turns out I was right the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually been having, uh, we've been having conversations inside the household about Baba here. I started accumulating Baba uh, yeah. during this this quarter. It's uh, for me. It's about two and a half percent of the portfolio. Never investment advice, by the way, especially yeah. when we're talking about crow eating. Never yeah. investment yeah. advice. <laughs> if you guys um, can't figure out, this is not investment advice. <laughs> yeah. But so it's two and a half percent of the portfolio, and it's it's one of those for me at least um, for for my investor psychology, for my take, for my beliefs from a micro perspective. The price of Baba, the valuation given where its business is, is highly attractive to me, which is oh, why yeah. I picked it up. Yep. And uh, we can touch on Didi for a second. Like, given the 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 political environment within China and the political environment between China and the U.S. right now, it's like tomorrow people can just snap their fingers like Thanos, you know, and this thing could yep. could probably drop. So. We're talking in our household right now. Like, do we keep this? Do we not? Um, right now, we're we're sticking on, on holding, but you know, still having that conversation. Oh, it's so funny. We we did uh, not a deep dive, but uh, a detailed conversation on Baba. I'm guessing uh, eight weeks ago, maybe twelve weeks ago, something like that. And at the time, my back of the envelope valuation was like, hey, if it gets to one thirty, I'm really excited. Um, and I was picking up shares in the 140 to 150 range because I just felt like it was never going to be that low again um, anytime soon. And I looked at one point this week, I think it was at 109. Now the backdrop here, and we've also done a deep dive on this, but I want to do a refresher course is, uh, so I'll read some stuff from the journal relating to Baba and Didi. So uh, here's, here's a couple quotes and then we can, we can break down exactly what this might mean and why things are down. So, Buried in the fine print of stock offering prospectuses and annual reports of U.S.-listed Chinese companies is often a reference to variable interest entities. Dougals, do you remember what company made variable interest entities famous in 2000? Uh, I want to say it was like Sino, Sino, something with an S. Enron, baby. So Enron. No, oh, oh you're talking about U.S. I thought you meant like oh, yeah, yeah, you meant yeah, Chinese yeah. companies making it. Okay, I get yeah. that. Poor question. Yeah. Uh, so Enron used these effectively shell companies to bury debt, to get debt off the balance sheet to make things look a lot rosier. So these do not have a strong track record. What 
variable interest entities do VIEs in the China US relations game is there's Chinese law that says, what does it say exactly, Douglas? I mean, basically that you can't have foreign investors. Yep, effectively. And yep. so they, for a long time, have used these VIEs to create a shell company that in effect has right to the assets and you allows you to list a company like Baba in the US. But man, is it a slippery slope. And basically, people looked away and winked, winked. I hear, I have some numbers. Um, Chinese listed IPOs of, US IPOs of Chinese companies from 2011 to 2021, looks like it averaged about 10 companies a year. And in the past four years, it went, gosh, 35, 25, 35 and we're pushing 40 in 2021 so this is like uh hey it wasn't technically legal but everyone's looking the other way and where i wanted to tie a bow on this one is we talked about this specifically we talked about with baba people going the way these vies are structured you don't really have a too, true tie back to the assets of the company as a u.s investor and should you be concerned about that we talked about it 12 weeks ago my take at that time, and I think my take today is still, yeah, but this is such a uh, well-accepted and well-practiced exercise. If you have 40 IPOs of Chinese companies in the U.S. stock market, it's not like, even though it's technically against the law, it's not like they're going to just immediately say, this doesn't work anymore. But hey, what happened this week, Mr. Supreme Leader? What what's the what's the phrase? They, they immediately fight... said it's not going to work anymore. Yeah, it's don't happened. fight the Fed. Well, don't fight the Supreme Leader of China either. Man, I don't know what I'm going to do with my Baba Holdings, and it doesn't really matter. Again, you listeners out there shouldn't be listen, shouldn't be taking our advice on things. But at 109, I'm still tempted to load up uh, the boat. I'll pause for a second before. I dive into the possible fixes for this, which includes a Hong Kong stock listing to potentially pay back the U.S. investors and some other craziness. But let me get some thoughts from you, Douglas. For Baba and for Stone, which we won't get into today, but for both of those, um, there are stocks that have dropped a whole bunch. And so I, I had a series of, of limit buys that yep. I'd set, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm fully, like my allocation that I have for Baba is, is fully like thrown in at this point. So I'm not even thinking about loading up more, but yeah, the conversation that we're having is it, it is one of those situations where this is a, as I bought my mentality is I'm holding this for at least two years. Like this, this it's a longer term holding minimum two years. I'd probably sell yeah. it two years if it hadn't done anything, but otherwise it's a long-term holding in my mind. And I'm kind of like, you know, like, a, like I mentioned, Thanos can like just go ahead and snap his fingers and who knows what happens, right? So holding for now, but but fully agreed. It's a it's a real it's a strange environment, I think, for us to figure out. And I, I will also say though, the Baba is such a big, I don't know what the market cap is right now, 300, 400 billion, right? Something like that. Um, yeah. after it's lost a whole bunch. Baba is such a both from a, a size perspective, important organization, and symbolically an important organization, that Baba being delisted, like the US saying that Baba's delisted or China pulling Baba out of the market is huge 
I mean, that, that yeah. is, it's, it's like, that's a big event. It, it's more than a stock, like leaving the market. This is going to be, in my, in my view, it would be the trigger for something much larger. Like there is like an economic war or like there's something bigger. Yeah. Than it's it's like from that. financial cold war between those two world superpowers or something. I mean, if you can't play nice about Baba, what, you, you don't agree on anything. True. And, and I'll also mention a financial cold war might be the most boring war of all time like a financial cold war we're the we're the only podcast covering the financial cold war yeah. <laughs> everyone else is like this is way too boring to even yeah, talk exactly about. we just sit and wait every week in silence <laughs> um yeah so so it's a, it's like a it's a really really big deal if this were to go out i i also say like personally my psychology i mean you've seen with tall like that thing's yeah. down 90 percent, still you know hodl um i don't mind the thing dropping 30, 40% and, you know, me holding on like I, that is, that doesn't matter for the long term. So it's not that that's not even the thing that, that keeps my mind going. Cause I'm good with that. What keeps my mind going is just the fact that there's like this like black swan that is hovering. I don't even know if that makes it a black swan when you know what it could be, but it's just like hovering over <laughs> the whole yeah. thing that just feels like it's not about, it's not about the company, right? Like I'm, I like to invest. It's about the company or an investment in a macro trend potentially, but more so about the company that's happening. And this isn't even about the company. I love this as an investor learning or refresher for me and you who've been doing this for a while. Like this always, or this happens. Investing involves risk and reward, right? And in this case, gosh, I feel like I nailed the fundamentals. I feel like I understand the company at a high level and I feel like it's undervalued, but none of those things mattered in terms of it dropping significantly this week. And that goes back. There's lots of good examples of this, but sometimes you nail everything in the investment process, and an earthquake happens, or a tsunami, or you name it. You know, you just can't predict everything, and you have to be prepared to have a margin of safety as such that allows some. It, well, and sometimes you just lose money. You know, like that's okay. Um, that happens. You, they're not all winners, um, especially in the short term. And I could not agree with you more about your thoughts on time horizon and then your thoughts on the political uncertainty i knew there was political uncertainty i knew that's the reason it got to the 150 range i mean it wouldn't be there if it wasn't in china if this was a u.s based company with the same trends and fundamentals it, there's no chance it would exactly. be anywhere near as cheap it is agreed while we're flipping the birds can i convert for a sec yeah all right so another bird turkey we're talking about the country here <laughs> you're just full of it there it is <laughs> sorry you're eating crow now we're talking turkey uh so i just want to give like a short rundown of what's happening in turkey right now because it's it's interesting um somewhat scary for the people of turkey very scary economically uh, and the reason why i'm i'm even looking at turkey is i've started earlier this year like we've discussed international stocks we've discussed emerging markets how expensive the us is and so i've spent uh, more time over the past probably 14 months just like looking at a international markets bunch and so turkey what's gone on there uh, and this relates back to some other conversations we've just had economically here is turkey has very high inflation when in the u.s when we talk very high inflation like recent very high inflation like right now we're saying we talking about six percent like people yeah. hitting the streets right six <laughs> percent nothing we're saying six percent and it's the highest annual inflation we've seen in 31 years Right. Like that, that, that is what we're saying in the U.S. Turkey is at nearly 20 percent annual inflation, and it's the highest they've seen in two and a half years. 
right? It's like, this is, this is <laughs> yeah, real maybe. inflation. So Turkey's inflation is very, very high. How does a central bank, like just very traditionally, I'm talking combat inflation. Interest rates. raising interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you think. So, uh, so Turkey has just to give a little political background. Uh, Erdogan is a uh, Turkey's president. He's been in power for about 20 years, roughly, I think a little under. He was the prime minister of Turkey uh, from like early 2000s until about seven, eight years ago. And then he became president. And then he got rid of the Turkey, like split president and prime minister as like head of state, head of government kind of thing. And uh, but he, then he once he became president, then he got rid of the prime minister. And so <laughs> so now he like runs the country. Uh, and as a I'll write this back to interest rates as a symbol of how much he runs this country. So last November, they put in place a new head of the central bank and had the same logic as Skippy. He's like, yeah. oh, we got high inflation. I'll put up yeah. the interest rates. So jacked up interest rates aggressively, like basically to the point of inflation. Yeah. And the president of Turkey says, no, that's usury. If you have high interest rates, that's usury. The middle class cannot afford high interest rates. Yeah. So you're fired because mm -hmm. raising, high, raising interest rates is a no-go. And so now he's, he's gone through three like governors. He's like fired three governors. And he's now cutting. He's like forcibly cutting interest rates in Turkey. And so he goes, no, what we're doing to combat inflation is cutting interest rates because we need to fuel this economy. So this economically, I mean, economists, I don't, I haven't talked to any economists about this, but I imagine they're just like Homer Simpson spinning around on the ground, like, can, whoop, 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 you know what I'm saying? About this whole thing. It's crushing the lira and the economy of, of Turkey is just like in a, a confusing spindrift. I don't know if that's how you use that phrase. Spindrift right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a flavored water, by the way. Um, <laughs> this is why, gosh, I'm not. Well, so there's a lot there. This is why we and all countries should be afraid of inflation, because the political push and pull is something that is very easy to understand. If you're the president of the country, you're signing up. If you jack up interest rates, you're signing up for a recession. You're signing up for spending to halt and when spending halts all the ramifications of that are bad or at least the way the u.s thinks about the economy right so there's this natural push and pull that makes it really really hard if not impossible to get inflation tamed once it takes off but the other thing that comes to mind and i hate even going there is uh <laughs> Something my favorite architect said this week. Do you know who my favorite architect is? Charlie Munger. <laughs> Have you heard about the UCSP dorm? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like, where, where bad, is this going? Another bad investing joke. Um, no, the point being, Charlie had a rant this week about how crypto is horrible. He's never buying anything. And it's, uh, it's like bad people. He says, people who are creating cryptocurrencies are not thinking about the customer. They're thinking about themselves. And his take, which I understand, is like, it's the large majority of that, if not all of that, is just people marketing to sell, you know, to sell your Bitcoin to a higher price to someone else. It's just basically a Ponzi scheme. But when I think about countries like Turkey, who has their uh, politicians, whose politicians appear to be failing them right now 
with their understanding of monetary policy, I think, hey, it's kind of nice that we're in a world, I talked about this with Afghanistan six months ago, like it's kind of nice we're in a world where there are some other alternatives to the lira that people are starting to think of as reputable. A hundred years ago, those people had no choice. I mean, I guess they started hoarding cows and bread as their currency, you know, but now I think there's a few other options when your government just completely fails you like this. Yeah, that that's fair enough. Yeah, fair enough with that. It's a it's a wild scenario, and I agree on like all the inflation risks and whatnot. I I'm just like, you know, checking out where the where the markets that are getting hit and taking a gander at them. Saw this one, you know, was reading back on the backstory, and I was like, well, this is like a ten foot pole type situation <laughs> in my eyes, right? Where I'm like, whoa! And, until you figure this out, I mean, we talk you talk the risk in China. It's like there's like a there's there's a chess game being played. In China, yeah. right? There's a chess game being played in China. There's like shoots and ladders or some kind of nonsense <laughs> Candyland getting played over <laughs> in Turkey. So, and they just fell down a ladder, man. Like yeah, they just, they a just thirty foot. <laughs> yeah, they they picked up the gingerbread man in, in Candyland. Anyway, whew, so that's it. Enough about the birds. Enough about the birds. Yeah. Well, what, let's just count our blessings over here. I mean, the the things we're worrying about is like a. 20% drop in BABA, which represents a tiny portion of our portfolio. We're pretty lucky. Can we talk the all-in podcast? I know it's, it's is it one of your favorites or just something you hit occasionally? It's an occasion, but I, I enjoy it though. I, I do enjoy it, but it's only occasional. So we got uh, a couple Jasons, a David and a Chamath, right? You want to give some background there on these folks? Yeah, So uh, so these are all investors at this point, and historically also all of them, I believe, entrepreneurs um, historically. And so uh, Chamath, if you go back to when he was an operator, uh, he was head of growth at Facebook, like early-ish employee at Facebook, head of growth there. Um, that's where he built like most of his capital uh, was at Facebook and then um, had a VC firm, uh, social capital uh, partnerships, and now does a lot of SPACs. Uh, you have Jason Calacanis, who back in the 90s started like newsletters and whatnot about it was a what was it called in in la uh silicon alley i think was the name of silicon beach Interesting. silicon beach silicon beach silicon beach and la and so like he he did that for a while and and then he was an early investor in uber and so they're they're basically and then david Sachs was a uh, yammer i think he did something before that too but anyway so they're like entrepreneurs turned investors really smart individuals and they're best friends that like play poker a lot together and they just talk and so it's a it's basically they get together on this all in podcast and just have a conversation all in is the is the poker reference because they play poker together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what the podcast is about. It's really interesting because they have such like they have a lot of knowledge about the like their own different perspectives on their journey through entrepreneurship and through the markets. And so I find it to be fascinating. Yeah, they, they stole our format, if you ask me. Um, I think this is episode 53. So they the first 30 minutes of this, I just enjoyed so much. They talked a lot about current valuations and the simple takeaway was like, hey, watch what the smartest people in the world are right, doing right now. There's a CNBC article that I sent you, Dougals. I think there's been almost 70 billion of stock sales with like, you know, impactful, intelligent individuals like Jeff Bezos, like Microsoft CEO. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. Um, can I actually so, can I play a short clip from from this where Chamath talks about 
Please do. You know, look, if I take a Why much, is that much, dangerous? Yeah. Well, if I take a much, much bigger step back, let me put Solana in the context of crypto and let me put crypto in the context of the markets and where we are today at the end of the week after, you know, uh, Q3 earnings uh, in November of, of 2021. We have the stock market at absolute all-time highs. Ripping. We have crypto at absolute all-time highs. Ripping. We have the art markets. I don't know if you guys saw Phillips and Christie's and Sotheby's this past week at absolute all-time highs. Sold another people for 25 million. We have inflation at a 30-year high. We have 10-year break-evens at a 25-year high. We have, you know, one point some odd trillion dollars that we just approved last week, and we're still horse trading on another three, you know, $1.8 trillion of stimulus that we're going to put in. And so when you, and then you have, I, and I think the, the most important thing, which is the two most important founders of our generation, the two smartest people who have really consistently won, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, have collectively sold more than $11 billion of their holdings this year alone. And if you can't take all of that and decide for yourself what's right for you and your family, you're doing yourself a disservice. I think that's well said, right? And you, you and Shamath have had your beefs. He, didn't, he doesn't know about that, but you and Shamath have had your beefs, but very well said. Uh, don't worry, in five minutes, I'm going to have another beef with him because if you listen to that whole podcast, then it, it, it's not always that rational. But I think that's very well said. And it's something to think about. Like, just gather all those facts. And if that doesn't tell you that the market is probably bubbly, then that's fine. But I have a tough time coming to a conclusion that there's room to run with that collection of events. Agreed. And, and he mentions um, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, right? And Jeff okay. Bezos, while he was at Amazon, for the most part, didn't sell anything. He had a point where he was selling like a billion dollars a year. That was like his, like annually, he would sell, a, yep. which is mind-boggling. He just needs a billion to live. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's it. Uh, annually. Uh, and so he would sell a billion, but now he sold, I think, 10 or so this year. And Elon like doesn't sell anything. I don't think he sold Tesla stock like for close to a decade. It's like 2013, maybe it was like the last time. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've discussed that in the past. The one that that got to me even more than those because of the percentage basis was Satya, the CEO of Microsoft, yes. sold yeah. half of his Microsoft stock. And in the most childish uh, back and forth tweet storm or a uh, text storm of all time, Skippy and I this week went back and <laughs> he would text me smart and I text him half and we did that for 35 <laughs> minutes because um, half of your holdings is a lot of your holdings like half it's, it's smart do you know why it's smart so half. one he understands <laughs> smart um he understands where we are in the market cycle he knows that now that he's a well-established well-respected ceo of is microsoft the world's largest company right now i think it is uh his stock options are gonna increase significantly and they're going to do more that shares. where that came from. Is that what you're saying? There's yeah, more of that where that exactly. came from. Yeah. yeah. So it's incredibly smart for him to sell right now. Now it had poor optics. I'll give you that. If I was in his shoes, I would not have sold half. I would have sold, I don't know, 20% over three years or something because it, that to me like screams, Hey, the leader of this company thinks it's overvalued. 
And the going back to something we, we talked about a long, long time ago, I think in relation to Templeton, even around taxes is from what I read, a part of it was fueled by like the, the reason why it was so much was partially at least fueled by taxes in Washington state, because yeah. the next year, Washington state's implementing some kind of a capital gains tax where maybe they don't, they don't have that right now. Yeah. Maybe I don't, I don't know a lot about Washington state tax law, um, but it's like, if I'm going to sell over the next few years, like now's the time to do it because it actually it adds another premium on in addition to the whatever 2X premium the, the market well, if, has. Well. If that's the case, the the PR person at Microsoft said uh, this relates to family financial planning or something. That was the official statement. If that's truly the case, the Microsoft PR people should have said, and Washington State has this crazy capital gains tax law because <laughs> it How makes is- more sense. How is family like the reason for everything? Like someone like leaves a company and go, oh, it's for family reasons. Yeah. Someone sells the stock. It's for family reasons. How, how is family reasons like the <laughs> universal reason for everything? It means you can't ask questions about it. That's that's all it means. Yeah, it's exactly. just PC. Exactly. Um, okay. So then can we continue this conversation about what happened 35 minutes later in that same podcast? Right, let's do it. So I think one of the Jasons, he was giving a breakdown of the Solana developer conference, which was interesting to me because, as you know, I've been playing around with uh, the use case there. And uh, they start talking about Rivian and evaluation there. So I just IPO'd. If I remember right, the current valuation is uh, north of $100 billion, right? For some context. Uh, I think it's like 120 Oh, yeah, I don't know okay. about after this week, but sometime over yeah. the past week, it was like one. That's actually what I was thinking. So let's call it 120. For some context there, when Tesla IPO'd, it's a different point, but Tesla had a product and was selling a product and had revenue. Like what's different about this is the adoption and the acceptance of electric vehicles. So one of the Jasons is like, someone asked me to do evaluation. I said, sure. Tesla IPO'd at 1.5 1.7 billion i'll give uh, rivian the benefit of the doubt say they're worth twice as much so i'd say 3 billion as the valuation and i know they have 17 billion in cash so if someone's offering me to buy that stock with a total value, total market cap of 20 billion i'm kind of interested as opposed to the current valuation of 120 billion. This goes on the heels of that conversation, that breakdown that you just paid of Chamath saying, everything's at all time high. The smartest people are selling, right? Well, Chamath comes back and argues that maybe the valuation for Rivian is okay. And it just boggles my mind, Dougals. Did you hear that? That it seems so misled. Yeah, he, I, I think you're you're reading too much into your uh, Chamath uh, beef <laughs> here. Cause he didn't say that. Exactly. At least not from what I remember. I think what he said, and this goes back to uh, invest where you have an edge. What he said was, it was Jason Calacanis. I was talking about this. And he said, Jason, you are a, like a startup investor, right? You Mm -hmm. you do early stage companies. That's what you get. That's, that's how you understand valuation. Again, he invested in Uber right early on. Like that's what he does. Yeah. That there are people that invest in like late stage and that's what they understand. And so you, you have to believe that they have, they have more uh, understanding of what they're doing than you do. Whether or not it's true, I'm just, I'm just stating his argument. They have more understanding than you do. I think what he also brought up was, because Jason was throwing out how, like, he was, I don't think he said this exactly, but he was, like, relating this to potentially being, like, fraud. 
Like, like it's yeah. similar to that. And, uh, and what Chamath was saying, like, these people may have driven the cars. Like it's, they just, they know more than you do. And so like, don't jump to, to that conclusion so quickly. That's what he was saying. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw out truth. Hey, don't start with me. What's the Harry Potter <laughs> word for like, what's the Harry Potter cuss word? Like this is hogwash or something. Your argument, his argument is complete. <laughs> a, a fair valuation of that company, uh, around 20 billion bucks. They don't have any revenue, Dougals. They don't. They so. But they have some. They sold like a hundred cars. No revenue. Oh, they okay. A hundred cars worth of revenue for a twenty billion dollar <laughs> or a hundred and twenty billion dollar company. That's no revenue. Uh, we can move on. I just that was bizarre. But hey, all in all, typically uh, when I dabble in that podcast, I'm not too impressed. I really enjoyed uh, at least the first thirty five minutes of that. Um, it's really the Solana breakdown. Um, lots of good advice and and like lots of interesting back and forth between, I I'd say re, three really smart people. Doogles, you see what I did there? <laughs> Alas, all right. I'm gonna reach into the fishbowl for for a quick hit potentially, yeah. and this is another uh, at least the way that it's portrayed here. Another bubble sign that I could not watch enough. I could not watch this enough this week because it cracked me up to no end and so i'm going to give a little bit of context and so there's this guy mark i can't remember his last name and he he runs an investment firm and he comes on cnbc like a decent amount at least from what i've seen in my my googling around so he comes on cnbc he's talking on uh squawk box he's talking about i think it's squawk box right well i would have got anyway he comes on cnbc and he's talking about like recent investments that he made in the market. And, and I, I just want to play like this clip of the conversation because it is wondrous. And then let's recap. Putting money in right now include Upstart, that is one, uh, Tesla, MGM, and AIG. Why those four, all of which you've bought within, well, basically this week, except Tesla, uh, end of last month. Yeah, so, well, Upstart's up about 25% just in four days since we, since we bought it. We bought it on uh, about four days ago. Uh, so that's actually made a, a nice little move in the uh, short term, probably a little extended right now, but longer term, uh, that, that's a, that's a, a good-looking uh, name. Uh, very powerful, very strong earnings. These stocks are What do they do? Really I don't well. even know them. What do they do? Uh, excuse me? What does Upstart do? Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. What kind of company is it? Yeah, I'm not, you're, you're breaking up. Oh, uh, well, sorry I guess we, we've got an audio problem there, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I couldn't get enough. Like, I could not get enough. He's straight up lying. For the record, Upstart provides credit services. It's like, it has some artificial intelligence with a consumer tie-in. It's what everyone in the credit space is pitching right now. Yeah, and, and how much do you own? zero <laughs> exactly you own none of it know what they do this this person comes on to the news and talks about four organizations and doesn't know what all four do I, let me so one it just got me cracking up he obviously the audio issue is not real obviously no, the audio he's, issue. he's flat out lying he's he's buying whatever i mean for i almost wonder if he's just like uh momentum guy that saw it was going up and just bought the thing without even knowing yeah i mean that that's probably it and i think that that's fine right most likely because like i i'm quant 
at least what do you do? Do you find yourself I'm, a I'm quant? I'm deep value <laughs> right? quant. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. have rules around what I buy and sell because human emotions will fail me in the investing space. Like with the Baba example, right? I mean, exactly. So. And when you, when you go to the extreme of, of quant, well, I, I don't mean extreme as in like off the wall. I just mean like when you're close to pure quant, right? You don't have to know what the companies do. Like you just saying, there's this, there's this asset. But if, the you're, asset if you're pure quant, you don't go on CNBC every week because you go, hey, the model that we built that's back tested for 50 years. That's my point. <laughs> it, it, it told exactly me to do right. this. There's got to be ups and downs. I have a long time horizon. I, you know, X, Y, Z. You don't go, oh, upstart's amazing. Oh, wait, you're cutting up. I have no clue. <laughs> I mean, that is the most embarrassing. If he has any money, if he's managing people's money and he has any left, um, that's outrageous. <laughs> no, I'm, that, that's but what you just said is my point exactly. Because I think when, you, when you're quant, he could have just said, um, well, I mean, I, I haven't watched the rest of his stuff, but he could have just said, I'm a quantitative like investor, the asset triggered. And like when I see movement like this, like I buy, like I'm not sure what they do. Like, and, yeah. and that doesn't make for great television, maybe, but like the, that's fine. What he did in just like the the deer in headlights aspect <laughs> of this, where he was he he reacted to this question as if it was so unexpected. Oh, like man. the question is, what does the company do? And he was like, what? Like uh, what? How dare you ask me yeah. such a hard <laughs> question? Like he was, he wasn't asked like who was the original founder and when did they come up with the idea or like something that's like <laughs> off the wall. It was like, give me what industry are they in? <laughs> like, give me yeah. anything. I mean, you can't tell me that it's financial services. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so the other thing that to try and give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe is what actually happened is he has a team of analysts who ran this and he got a briefing 15 minutes before he jumped on. CNBC. I mean, you could say that too. Like, sorry, I, I forget at the moment. My analyst uh, just gave me the briefing on this. Yep. But it just seems like he's outright lying. I hope he's not. <laughs> but hey, this is why, and take this how you will, listeners. This is why you should not listen to CNBC or any of that other nonsense that happens because they're just throwing invites out to anyone, anyone under the sun that will create entertainment television for 15 minutes at least what we do is we talk about things that are interesting to us and if it's not interesting we don't talk about it and if we're not knowledgeable we don't have to talk about it we don't have to fill 24 7 of television relatedly like one of the newsletters i subscribed to uh came through yeah. and it was mentioning how jim kramer was hawking nvidia right which this is, yeah. I'm, I'm a holder of NVIDIA, but this has nothing to do with my holdings here, but he's hawking NVIDIA. So what they were saying was he went on the fiery rant on CNBC, right? On a show about NVIDIA and how hot it is and everything. And then they say, uh, he, he's, he's not ready to take profits right now because he sees the stock at $10 trillion one day, right? So that's like, mm -hmm. that's the context they give. But this is not a sign, and I quote from the newsletter, this is not a sign to go buy a million shares of NVIDIA. Kramer is literally obsessed with this stock. He even named his dog NVIDIA. Where are we? <laughs> like, I don't know. You shouldn't follow Jim Cramer's advice because his stock picks underperform. But if you were going to follow someone's advice and they're so obsessed, I don't believe that, Diggles, but let's just assume it's true for a second. If they're so obsessed, they name their dog after a stock, it means they're not rational about the stock. So at that point, 
even if you did believe what they were saying early on, you should stop believing them because you think they're going to sell the stock when the fundamentals change, when they're so attached to it that they named their dog after it? Let's say let's say it's true. When NVIDIA drops 70%, what happens to that poor dog? The dog's going to be named Arm. <laughs> oh, the FTC is suing. <laughs> FTC is suing NVIDIA about the Arm. So Arm deal's off. Was the arm deal ever really on? The, the, question. the arm deal was always off. And for those who don't know, we're talking about the potential acquisition of arm fr from NVIDIA, uh, which would be a big deal for them. Big deal is such an understatement. So arm, arm is an organization that has, it's based in the UK and licenses its technology. It's basically like an open source like um, technology wizard for semiconductors. So they have yeah. all this technology they, they, that all the other companies use, right? And so everyone licenses from ARM. NVIDIA being this huge organization owning the company that all the other companies use is like a non-starter effectively. Now, I believe Jensen, who is the CEO of NVIDIA, I believe him when he says, we wouldn't touch that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't stop any of that, no, because we're, we're good players in the market, right? We would let that continue. We would just use it for our own benefit. I believe him. Because he looks like a like a grandmother when he pulls his semiconductors out of his oven. I don't know if you ever watched any of his like his keynotes, but he, he enjoys cooking semiconductors in his own oven at home. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's all. Sorry, I went on a, a tangent. Hey, uh, what's your dog's name? Nvidia. Is it Nvidia? Because you sound pretty attached. It's, it's actually Jensen. I went. <laughs> I went that second that second order. You know, like, so much worse. It's so much worse. <laughs> Oh, uh, what's next in your fishbowl i got one last thing in the fishbowl i think you know i was browsing it doesn't really matter but I'll, I'll tell you the whole story i was browsing electric bicycles this week and like it this is where it feels like we're flying into a back to the future movie or something there's some crazy stuff out there there's some electric bikes slash mopeds that go 60 miles per hour That's that nice. have yeah they they actually have pedals so they can in some states and countries be classified as a bike so you don't need a license like anyway there's this whole thing i got stuck down this rabbit hole but i was shocked to find one one of these companies you're browsing the website and they're like uh, right next to the buy now button it says buy now in crypto connect your coinbase account the reason i find that so fascinating and we've talked about this in the past is crypto's use is really limited if it's if there's no off ramps right if you're on the crypto highway in turkey or afghanistan or venezuela or wherever or in the u.s and you have to sell it to get u.s dollars to buy goods you need it's really limits its viability but hey when you see these upstart um th this company did an indiegogo campaign raised a i think a hundred million dollars no, that's too much. Uh, raised several million dollars, built their product, and is like a hot new thing. And they have off-ramps to buy their product via crypto. It was just like a fascinating discovery for me. I wonder how uh, popular it's going to get or if this is just a one-off you know, place where the founders of this company are like huge crypto bulls. I don't know. The more you likely have like the, the millennial than Gen Z, like yeah. founders of these organizations, probably the more you get into that, because that, that's where like the retail crypto holdings end up living for the most part, I think so.
I have one last item in the fishbowl, and this relates back to the conversation we were just having with regard to uh, do your own research. Don't listen to the folks out there that are hawking stuff. So don't purely listen, I should say, to the people out there hawking stuff, like do your own research. Talk to, and more specifically, talk to your tax person. Have a tax person. Talk to your tax person. This is about IRAs. I saw this article in the Wall Street Journal uh, about IRAs. And so what it discussed was IRAs and alternative assets. So according to the IRS, you don't have to invest in just stocks and ETFs and mutual funds and whatnot in your IRAs. You can invest in alternative assets. We've talked about before how Peter Thiel uh, back in the day put his um, his PayPal shares like in the IRA. Now it's like this $5 billion IRA, right? Just showing that you can invest in alternative assets. But watch yourself. Shake it fast. Watch yourself. <laughs> because the IRS also, from what I read here, IRS has this rule where you can invest in alternative assets, but you can't, quote unquote, self-deal with those alternative assets. So the anecdote that they gave, that's an example of self-dealing, is there was this couple that bought hundreds of thousands of dollars in gold and silver coins through their IRA and stored them in their safe. Oh. And so what the IRS is saying is that's... you you have what they called unfettered access now to those coins. You can do whatever you want with them. Yeah. That's not, that's not like an investment. And so like another example of having, uh, of, of what do they call it? Of prohibited, right? Access, prohibited investments is you can buy, apparently, as long as you have the right broker in the right situation, go talk to your tax person. But apparently IRS says, okay, if you buy uh, real estate, right? With your, IR, your yes. uh, IRA funds, however, don't live in the house, right? Is like basically what they say. Like, make it be an investment that is not like your like your liquid asset. No, I know I people that take advantage of that, and it it very clearly has to be a rental. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, I I only bring that up. I thought it was like an interesting anecdote to read this. And actually, my first reaction when I this is, like, why are they buying hundreds of thousands of dollars in silver coins? Like that that was my first reaction. Like not as a this wasn't like some tiny portion of their IRA, like they were, they were buying so much silver coins and storing their safe. So that was my first reaction. But then secondly, I was like, let this be a lesson. Like talk to your tax person, know what the heck you're getting into. Be, uh, what the article was saying was maybe this still happens, but they were saying at least back in the day, like in the last 10, whatever, 20 years, there were lots of radio like broadcasts that were telling people to do this is like where it came from. Yeah. And so that that's what, so if you hear, you hear it on the radio, they'll talk to your accountant. Right. Don't just buy your gold coins. Just like uh, Biden said when he tweeted out about the bleach. It feels ridiculous. I have to say this, but don't just go out and buy gold coins with your IRA funds and put them in your safe. Um, I, I'm just going to laugh about that one. I said I was done. I'll tie up one more thing. Uh, several weeks ago, I told you that over the last decade, there's been almost a half a billion dollars paid in coaching buyouts. In the last three weeks alone, we added $90 million to that total. Um, wow. College sports is absolutely crazy. It's it's getting to the point where it might be problematic. That's it. So, folks, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, you can read about our stuff, skippyanddougals.substack.com. You can hit us up for listener mail, skippydougals at gmail.com. On Twitter, at skippydougals. Thanks for listening. All right, peace. <laughs>